Today on the Andrew Kubrider Show, in prior episode, I covered the Campbell County uh, Female Juvenile Detention Center and its litany of issues regarding their treatment and, uh, of course, the staff there sexually uh, assaulting, having misconduct with minor female inmates in their care. Uh, concerns about this issue came up recently in a legislative hearing where the response from an official with juvenile uh, detention centers, uh, James Sweat, the new man in charge, doesn't really make you feel all that comfortable with the direction of our juvenile detention center systems. We'll go over that. The same people who uh, provide and facilitate and have lobbied for abortion access in KY are coming out strongly opposed to freestanding birthing centers and women getting to choose where they give birth. I'll go over while these two positions may seem contradictory, it's actually quite clear that there is a common thing they have in common and why they seem to be taking uh, these stances. Then finally, yesterday, I spoke about the Daniel Cameron event going on with Rand Paul in Lexington at 11 a.m. Uh, that's going on this Friday, the 20th, 11 a.m. It's going on at pretty much at Fork Bank. Uh, there's like an event center right there next to it, but Fork Bank over in the Hamburg area, Officer Barton, 11 a.m., and, and so I posted the graphic from that, and man, the left went a little crazy, a little nutso on Twitter. We'll go over what they've said uh, in today's episode. As always, though, that last segment, going over how crazy the left is on Twitter uh, over Daniel Cameron Rand Paul event, that is available to our podcast-only listeners. That is on, uh, of course, iHeart and Apple Pandora, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other places. So if you want to catch that last segment there, head on over and listen to the show on your favorite podcasting platform. Uh, but as always, I appreciate y'all taking a listen. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. Um, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. Without further ado, let's dig into it. So uh, this within the last week or so, uh, there was a hearing held regarding uh, OC spray, so or pepper spray, as some of you may know it as. And so what is what they were originally talking about was the fact that as they're implementing the use of OC spray, there's been some issues. We've had some issues with uh, overuse, uh, you know, little girls, well, not little girls, but minor females in juvenile detention centers such as Campbell County's juvenile detention center there run by the state, um, the one in Campbell County. Um, Issues with girls getting pepper sprayed and punched in the face uh, when it's not necessary and those issues abound. So in this hearing, they're asking about that use of the OC spray and issues uh, going on. And there's a few lines that came up from a James Sweat, uh, the man that has recently been hired, put in charge, that certainly is alarming and doesn't make anybody feel very comfortable with the direction of our prisons. Let's take a listen to some of his testimony. We're going to start off with this first bit here. For example, uh, Campbell County, you know, almost everybody there is, is on probation because we have to hire a whole new staff for that facility. We are teaching them how to use these different uh, things that will help safe, keep the kids safe and staff safe. So in that James Sweat, he's talking about 
uh, how everybody in Campbell County Juvenile Detention Center, every worker there is on probation. Why are they on probation? Well, because that county, uh, that, that juvenile detention center had such huge issues that they had to fire large amounts of the staff, hire in new people that are on probation, new training for people on use of OC spray because of the spraying in the face. And on top of that, current workers are on probation too as well. Does it make you feel entirely comfortable with the direction these juvenile detention centers are going on when we have entire prisons where they're saying the majority of the staff there are on a probationary period because they are so new and so freshly trained. And then you wonder why these issues abound, especially when it comes to these issues with these young girls. Now, as I said in prior episodes, one of the most obvious and, and straightforward ways to address this would have been to put females in charge of females and, and, and then the men, of course, in charge of the boys. Um, I believe Campbell County Juvenile Detention Center is the only all-female juvenile detention center uh, in the state. It originally was supposed to be outside of Louisville, then they moved it to Campbell County, emptied it out of boys. And so that is a female juvenile detention center. And yet they had men working in there. That's what led to these sexual assaults. And you're hearing it there from James that everybody there is on probation. And then you wonder why these issues persist and why these training issues persist. But obviously him saying everybody's on probation, there's training issues, there's misuse of OC spray, uh, and, and the process we're going through to train people, get everybody on board there, leads to some questions of, well, how are you being, becoming aware of what's going on? Because, and this will come up here in this testimony, that these issues were going on at Campbell County, not for like a few days, but for like months, and nothing was being done. Let's hear what, uh, James Sweat has to say about that. Okay. And my reason for the question is, um, especially like on the timeline, um, you know, we've all recently read what happened in Campbell County um, and that, you know, some actions were being taken, um, you know, sexual assault by an employee. Um, and while everybody at the Campbell County facility seemed to know what was going on, um, you know, it seems the cabinet and people that could take action did not find out until June, from my understanding. Um, and so I, I guess I do have some concerns just making sure this reporting is getting to the right channels to people that can take actionable, um, uh, well, can take actions on it immediately so that somebody's not getting, you know, misusing OC spray um, for three weeks or a month and a half before it finally gets addressed. So that is. Um the the representative there is is laying out a question okay so you've had these issues regarding the use of oc spray you've had issues in campbell county how are we getting those reports because like he said this has been going on for a while not even addressed until june and i want to play that for you first to kind of set up the question and now we'll hear what james sweat has to say in response so you know what he was asked Let's hear what he says in response. No, that's not going to happen. Okay. And also, uh, he says, he says, <laughs> and I'm quoting here, no, that's not going to happen. So what he asked him about was, okay, these use of OC spray, if something goes wrong, if something goes bad, how are you going to find out about it? Because if these issues just continue, you're not going to know about it. He goes, no, 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 that's not going to happen. 
You're like, okay, uh, that sounds nice. Well, James, can you elaborate on how that's not going to happen for us? Could you could you fill us in on what you mean by that's not going to happen? Because it happened already. I mean, girls were getting sexually assaulted and punched in the face, and you didn't know about it. So how are you going to know people misuse their OC spray? Well, let's see if his response instills, his continued response to this, instills any kind of real confidence in his leadership. I started May the 8th, uh, and it's been reported everywhere, uh, over the news and everywhere about uh, Campbell County, and the staff that was uh, in charge there, as soon as I got there within two weeks, I demoted him, and two weeks after that, I fired him. You know, I can only fix what I know about. The reports were not getting to me. Once the reports got to me, I took steps to rectify it. And, and, and that, that and, was the point of my question. The, yes. the reports were not getting to you. Right. So, but it was due to the, the staff that were in, in place at that facility at the time. And, and soon as we soon as we recognized that they were not doing their job, then we took necessary steps okay. to, to change that. Have and it wasn't just, it wasn't being reported by anybody in writing. Once we got that information in, in writing, uh, we took steps to make those changes. So he gets asked the question, how are you getting this information? And his response was, oh, that's not going to happen. Then goes on, he then goes on to explain exactly how this can happen. <laughs> he goes, yeah, well, the staff wasn't reporting it, and then I don't know about it. And that is exactly, and you heard the legislator say, he's like, that's why I asked the question. Yeah, you had an issue of reports not getting to you while girls are getting punched in the face and sexually uh, uh well, in some ways, sexually assaulted by staff, sexual misconduct by staff against these girls in juvenile care, and you didn't know about it. How are you going to know about this? And his response, well, you know, I didn't know about it because no one told me. Yeah, James. <laughs> so nobody told you. So what are you doing to fix that? What are you doing to fix that? Let's hear what else. James has to say. So if you haven't yet given up on um, the Bashir's administration's ability to handle these situations, remember, I got the Cabinet for Health and Family Services situation where he's got uh, uh, young kids sleeping on the floors of offices, problem that's been going on for a year. Now we have issues of misuse of OC spray, sexual assault, uh, misconduct by, uh, of course, the, the people involved, the uh, prison guards or correctional officers involved with this juvenile detention center in Campbell County, this girls' juvenile detention center. Let's see if, if he can somehow claw back um, some way that we could feel like maybe they have this handled and we should have confidence in the situation. Let's see if there's a way that we can climb this back. Um, let's hear another question from a legislator for him. That prompted a question that I have. You mentioned in writing, but what about the agency's internal hotline where staff were calling and reporting this to the hotline? Where does Who answers that hotline, and are there records kept as to those calls? Yes. I, I be uh, in turn, they, they keep those records. 
And is it your understanding, your testimony here today before this committee that the agency did not receive internal hotline calls regarding the Campbell County incident? That was my understanding. So what the legislator there is asking him, okay, he's asking him, he says, okay, so you're talking about this in writing, right, from a response through official channels, but there's a hotline set up for if you are just a normal correctional officer and a situation's not getting addressed, well, how can you reach out? How can you let the administration know so they can go ahead and deal with it? And they say, well, there's a hotline call. Now, I'm going to give James a hot tip, okay? Now, there's some parts of that you missed uh, early on where they talked about some calls being given into the system. And <laughs> I'm going to give James a hot tip. When you hear a legislator say the words, is it your testimony here today that there were no calls in regards to the Campbell County incident? When you hear a legislator say, is it your testimony here today? In a hearing, I'm going to give you a hint. They already know the answer to that question, and you're not giving them the answer that they were expecting. My guess, and based on the earlier conversation you all didn't get to hear, there was calls being placed about the Campbell County incident that still wasn't being addressed or kept track of. And this guy, James Sweat, unaware of it, oblivious to the fact, I would bet dollars to donuts calls were made because the legislator doesn't ask that question. Is it your testimony here today? If they ask a question in that way, that's not a general inquiry. That is the question of an investigator who already has a piece of evidence against you. And what's funny is after he asked that question, he kind of looks around for a second and is like, okay, like they all know that there was cause. Apparently they're aware of them. And his testimony there today was, I wasn't aware of them. Didn't know anything about it. So you have James here, juvenile detention center. We got a big problem. Female juvenile detention center. We got girls getting punched in the face, sexually assaulted, sprayed in the face with OC spray. We've got a prison with everybody on probation. And the legislators are asking the all important question. How are you aware of what's going on? How do we respond to that? How do we create a situation that's a better off for those young girls in that situation where while they, while they are there serving out a prison sentence, they're not worrying about being a, a raped by a prison guard or punched in the face for just existing. And James just really, he may think he had a good response, but I, I don't know about you, but do you feel any confidence from that? I don't feel confident from that. Do you feel like he knows what he's doing? I don't. He's over here saying, well, I didn't know about it. Yeah, that's why I asked the question. Well, you know, if I don't get it in writing, then I can't do anything about it. I can only address the things that I know about. Yeah, we know. That's why we're asking about it. Yeah, well, you know, it's because the staff weren't telling me. Okay, what are you going to do to fix that in the future? Ah. What about the phone call system? Who is in charge of that? Did Campbell County send you calls? No, I don't think so. Are you really, really sure about that? Because we maybe have some indication that they did call. Nope, nope, no clue doesn't make you feel too, too confident with the way this Bashir administration is handling its business on these all important issues. Coming up after this, speaking of the legislature, we've had some hearings about freestanding birthing centers. We'll talk about the arguments uh, and the Kentucky Hospital Association, of course, coming out strong against it. We'll talk about why after this short break.
So recently, the legislature has been hearing testimony in their certificate of need task force about freestanding birthing centers. Freestanding birthing centers, of course, are places that are, are have more of a home setting to it. Um, they do have medical professionals there, clearly, but it creates a different environment for you to be able to, if you're a female, give birth in. Instead of being in this hospitalized environment and, and just kind of rushed out and everything else, you could have birth maybe in a setting, uh, maybe more like your home, more comfortable, more relaxing, uh, where you don't feel as much like, you know, maybe your lab rat and you're doing a, a very natural thing, giving birth and so these freestanding birthing centers, places that uh, just want to operate and allow a choice for women to give birth at, have hit a snag. And it deals with certificate of needs. You see, and we've covered this at nauseum in this podcast about certificate of need. But in the state of Kentucky, if you want to build a hospital, medical facility, uh, you want to offer services or anything like that, you have to ask for permission from the state, which then has to certify with the area providers that they can't handle the level of business. But freestanding birthing centers aren't about there being a lot of women that want to give birth that don't have a place to go. Freestanding birthing centers is about options. What uh, kind of environment do you want to give birth in? And during this hearing, KHA comes out and starts talking about, well, you know, every pregnancy, their, their line, every pregnancy is normal till it's not talking about how at-risk pregnancies in, in these uh, freestanding birthing centers, if surgeries or things like that are required, they don't have the staff, the expertise on site. And while most births are perfectly natural and normal and everything else, that you do run into situations like that. And, well, they won't be able to respond to it, which on its face seems like a reasonable argument. But when you think about the KHA and the types of people that are in it and who they support and who supports them, you're left asking some questions because the KHA and its members, the hospitals, have been facilitating and providing abortions for quite some time. The abortion centers have had agreements with hospitals like, like in Louisville. In order to provide abortions, they have an ambulatory agreement with hospitals in the area, something they've agreed to. KHA and, and their members not only providing abortion, but have donated to and promoted, of course, organizations like the KMA, who came out against uh, uh, abortion. So you have a organization came out against, sorry, uh, um, stopping abortion. So you have an organization that's all about women's reproductive rights, the KMA, that partners up with this KHA all the time. They share members. You got hospitals giving to places like Planned Parenthood and PACs in order to keep abortions rolling, claiming it's about reproductive rights, a women's right to choose. And then when it comes to the choice of where to give birth, now suddenly their desire to allow women to choose the freedom to make a choice dries up. Dries up like a river in a hot sun that hasn't rained in a while. There's not a drop to be found of care about choices. Now, why would that be? Why could it be that the KHA is so against freestanding birthing centers, while at the same time promotes, facilitates, works with individuals, partners with groups that push forward abortion and are all about women's reproductive choices? I mean, is not if 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 you argue to me that a woman has a if you're somebody who believes a woman has a right to an abortion, please explain to me how in that same idea of reproductive choice and rights, a woman does not have a right to give birth wherever they want to. In fact, a woman kind of does. 
You see, this was brought up by Jason Nemus in the hearing. Right now, women can give birth at home if they want to. There is nothing illegal about a woman deciding to not go to the hospital in order to give birth to a baby. She can give birth to it right in the middle of her living room if she so chooses, right in the middle of the kitchen if she wants to. That is not illegal. But yet, but yet, for some reason, KHA has an issue with freestanding birthing centers. And there's a reason why. There's a connecting matter. And it's got nothing to do with philosophy or principles. It's got to do with one thing, money. They were for women's right to choose abortion because they make money off of it. Hospital providers make money off of it. And they want to make sure that if you are going to give birth to that child, instead of going ahead and having it murdered at some clinic somewhere, that they make money off of. Well, they want to make sure you're giving birth to it in a hospital they own in a place where they can make money off of it. That is the only connecting thread. That's the only thing that makes sense of how you can have these two viewpoints while at the same time fight against it. And what's funny is when targeted on that, as I said, Jason, you must ask the KHA, the representative there, testifying against it, saying that, well, freestanding birthing centers, they, they result in some real problems and issues, you know, because, yeah, I mean, women can give birth, but, you know, maybe they can't. I don't know. Maybe there could be issues. And he says, is it legal for a woman to give birth in her home right now? She goes, no. Well, what's the, what's the concern here then? Are you advocating for? Are you advocating for? making it illegal for a woman to give birth in their own home? No, of course not. And there's a reason why this is being heard in a certificate of need setting. Talking about certificate of need. Being held in licensing, occupation, and administrative regulations. That's where they're at. They're not testifying between a healthcare committee. They're testifying between a committee on licensing, occupation, and administrative regulations. Because it's got nothing to do with healthcare. It's got to do with one thing only, regulations that are lobbied for and created by entities with deep pockets in order to make sure they can keep a monopoly and a stranglehold on the market. We literally have hundreds of Kentuckians going, having birth outside a hospital. They're, they're traveling to neighboring states that do have freestanding birthing centers. This isn't a new idea. It's not like whatever. It's so funny. Every time the hospitals get involved here in Kentucky, because Kentucky has some of the strictest certificate of need laws, and they claim the world will, for some reason, all the regulations and things that work in literally every other state just can't seem to work in Kentucky. It just won't work. Seems odd. Almost like it's got nothing to do with safety, but it's only has to do with money. Only has to do with money. And so where's this going to end up? My guess is in order to make sure that those hospitals get to hold their stranglehold, get to hold that, there's going to be something in the legislation that says these freestanding birthing centers have to have an agreement with, loking, with, loca, with local hospitals. They have to have it in order to make sure that they can maintain their monopoly. Because if you have to go to a hospital in order to be a licensed freestanding birthing center, in order to be allowed to do that, if you have to have an agreement with the hospital, well, now they still get their cut. Or they can lock it out completely. 
And what kind of legislation is that? For a group of people that claim a woman's got a right to choose suddenly, unless, of course, it comes to where you birth at. And keep in mind, there's nothing illegal for a woman to give birth at home. They suddenly only have an issue with it when there's money to be made on the choice. Now they have a problem. Well, for those of you watching on YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook, that's all we have for you here on the video format. But for those of you listening to the podcast version, stay with me because after this, we're going to be talking about a tweet I sent out regarding the Daniel Cameron event. Um, bear with us here after this short break. Check that out. For those of you listening and watching on the video format, head on over to the podcast form. Listen to this last segment. That's all we have for you guys. But to the rest of you, podcast format, we will be back after this short break. So yesterday I told you all about an event going on, um, of course, in, in Lexington, uh, the Daniel Cameron Rand Paul event. I found it interesting. And um, it's, it's at 2404 Sir Barton Way, 11 a.m. And what I found interesting about it, and I, and I tweeted this out and I commented um, this to it. I think Rand has been Cameron's biggest high profile supporter. That's a comment I made as I tweeted out the graphic. And my point by that, and I understand Trump's high profile, obviously very high profile supporter of Cameron, but my point was what I meant by saying biggest high profile is that Rand seems to be doing the most amount of work for Cameron. When you look at Cameron's support and big money coming in, what you're seeing is PACs that have priorly supported Rand, big billionaire donors that have priorly supported Rand are coming in and dumping money behind Cameron. And it certainly seems like Rand is pushing it that way. And for whatever reason, Rand has made a priority to help out Daniel Cameron. And that was the point of my comment was to say that I, by biggest high profile supporter, I didn't mean most well-known. I meant biggest as in doing the most work. And so I tweeted that out. And then I got uh, a few comments that were perplexing from the left who really just can't handle uh, what I had to say here. And I'm going to go over a few of these comments because I think they're rather interesting and um, silly, right? Uh, of course, one person comments, uh, and Amy Jean comments, and that's not saying much. Talking about, of course, Rand being uh, Cameron's high, biggest high-profile supporter. And it just points to the weird kind of uh, world that um, the lefties are living in. And what do I mean by that? They're saying, well, that doesn't amount to much. Well, when we look at Rand Paul's last election in 2022, you've, he was running against, of course, Booker there uh, for his, his third term there. And when you look at those vote totals, he beat Charles Booker like a redheaded stepchild. He took 61.8% of the vote to Charles Booker's less than 40% of the vote. He beat Charles Booker by 400, almost 400,000 votes. And you're going to tell me, well, that's not a big deal. Rand Paul is not a big deal. He's not a, he's not a big deal here in Kentucky. The man just beat a guy by over 60% on re-election uh, against Charles Booker. And you want to say, and that's not saying much for him to have that support? He's a sitting U.S. senator who just won re-election by large margins. But you live in some weird world where despite the outcome of an election, you look at that and say, well, he doesn't matter. He's not really important. Despite looking at that and saying, well, clearly he's important to some people. Here's another comment that I found interesting. Uh, keep up the cope. Coper writer 
Dan will lose. Now, I got to say, I love a good pun. And uh, on its surface, Cope and Copa Rider, because I'm coping, is pretty, pretty funny um, on its surface. Though it doesn't make a lot of sense as this comment is that, well, clearly it's coming from somebody who doesn't listen to the show too much. I have been very honest about Daniel Cameron's chances of election. And while I think he certainly has a chance at being elected, uh, I know it is definitely not a for sure thing. And I've talked about uh, the fact that that is the case. And I've talked about why we've gone into the numbers. We've had that conversation on the show. I don't need to cope with the fact if, if, if Daniel Cameron loses, I won't need to cope with that. I see the reasons why he may. I see them. It's explainable to me. It's not like when Trump won and all the Democrats are like, how did this happen? Where did we get it so wrong? That's not the case. There's no coping. There's no false belief I have. People listen to the podcast. No. I, I look at the numbers. I look at the situation on the ground. I talk to people who volunteer in the field. I know which direction the race is going. I see it. And, you know, like I said, Cameron's got to change it up a bit. He has a chance to win, but he's got to follow through. But that's not coping. And now this one here, I almost retweeted this one with a comment on it because I find it to be highly perplexing to me. And one of the reasons why I find it to be so perplexing, of course, is because I don't quite understand. I don't understand what they're going on here. They said, um, so I, I tweeted out that I said what I said. I didn't say anything else. I just said, well, it appears Rand Paul seems to be his biggest high profile supporter. And that's all I said. And a person comments and goes, and I'm sure you'll be there trying to ride some coattails, L-M-A-O. That's free speech all day long. Uh, quote, it said that. I'm sure you'll be there trying to ride some coattails, L-M-A-O. I've got a, I've got some questions. First off, uh, I will most likely be there. Um, I will probably be there. I'll be there. Uh, mainly because I like Rand Paul. Um Nothing against Daniel Cameron. It's just I don't go to Daniel Cameron speaking events. And the reason why is because I was on the campaign trail with Daniel Cameron during the primary early this year when I was running for treasurer. I've heard Daniel Cameron's speech to a bunch of Republicans several times over. I know what he's going to say. I know what his viewpoints are publicly. I know how he says it. I know the cadence of his speech. Anybody who follows politics or, or bees around it know that there's this canned political talking point where we put together you know, a three-minute speech, a five-minute speech, a 15-minute speech, and a 30-minute speech. And depending on the situation, we'll whip them out. 30-minute speech really we don't use too often, but the 15-minute, 10-minute, five-minute, and three-minute, we have a different speech for that, and it's the same every time. Every time I went to Lincoln Day dinner, everybody said the same speech. It actually made it interesting for me as I was uh, running against, there was a guy, um, of course, I want to beat Mark Metcalf, that won, but there's a guy really wanted to make sure lost, and that was, of course, O.J. Lika, because he's a leftist, uh, if I've ever seen one, that uh, discourages and is a disgrace to the name of a conservative because he is not conservative. And you could tell that right from the start. And so... Of course, he would gaslight everybody there and say things that have absolutely nothing to do with what he's talking about. Um, and so I got to have some fun here by going ahead and uh, he couldn't, like they can't break free from saying the same speech. So what I would do is, is I would craft my speech and say things based on his speech. I will literally say things that would make his pre-canned speech sound ridiculous. 
and I would I would go after almost specific lines without necessarily going after them. And then right after I gave my talk, he would stand up because I always came first in the alphabet. He would stand up. And then he would go, and despite the fact that I literally just made fun of the things he's about to say, basically, without saying his name or calling him out, he still said them because they have this canned speech. So I don't go to Daniel Cameron's speeches because these speeches are so canned from all these people, and it's not their fault. I mean, if you go to a thing in Lexington, then you go to a thing out west, you're not going to have the same people at them, the people listening to the speech. They're not going to be the same just because I followed him around and, and we went to the same event. So I didn't follow him around, but we went to the same events, sometimes two, three times, uh, uh, two or three of the same events every day. But we went to literally dozens of the same events, but in different areas around the state. I don't fault them for giving the same speech over and over again. It's new to most of the people in that room. So one reason I don't go is because most of the time I know what he's going to say. I am very curious to hear what Rand Paul has to say in regards to the governor's election. That's why I'll be there. But going to their comment about riding coattails, and this is what's so perplexing. Where am I riding these coattails to? What do they think? What, what do they think? Do they think what? I'm trying to ride coattails into a government job in the Cameron administration? I've got news for y'all. I own my own business. I don't want to work for somebody. There is, I, I've said this time and time again, there is one job I would take in our state government if it was offered to me. And that'd be the head of the unemployment system. And I would take that and I would only take that job in order to fix it because as a small business owner, it affects me greatly. And I know exactly what it needs in order to be addressed and fixed. And so therefore I'd want to take it over just to fix what it needs, get it done. And then I'd quit. I'd get it quit. As soon as it's reformed and set, I would quit because that's the only job I want. And it's not because I want to work for somebody or because I want something in politics. It's because that is something that is broken and I see how it can be fixed. I don't want to work for somebody else. I'm not running for office again either. Whose coattails am I going to ride? Rand Paul's and Daniel, K where am I riding them to? Where are we going? It's so strange. These comments, and, and that's what I mean when I say these deranged leftists, they have such strange, weird world they constructed. Or a man who won over 60% of the vote is irrelevant in Kentucky. Our, our U.S. senator, the biggest top of the ticket race in 2022 in Kentucky, wins by over 60%, but somehow irrelevant. Where I'm riding coattails to, I don't know where. Where I have to cope with Daniel Cameron's law. I'm not coping with any, what are you talking about? But that's the world they live in. They think we're a caricature of rightists while they haven't ever bothered to actually listen to what we have to say while they're acting like a complete character of leftists. I've listened to what they have to say. It's as bad as we make it sound like. It's never different. It's always the same. That is how they are. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. Y'all have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow at one o'clock. See you soon.